0: Specialty Stories Podcast, session number nine. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you will want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to the Specialty Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you exactly what our title says, Specialty Stories. Today, I have the honor of interviewing a friend who happened to be in town for a conference, and so I brought her into the studio And we talked about her specialty. Maureen Leonard, Dr. Leonard, is a pediatric gastroenterologist, and she's going to tell you all about that path.
1: My name is Maureen Leonard, and I am a pediatric gastroenterologist.
0: And how long have you been practicing as a pediatric gastroenterologist?
1: I've been practicing for about a year and a half.
0: And are you in an academic or community-based setting?
1: I am in an academic setting.
0: When did you know you wanted to be a pediatric gastroenterologist?
1: I had an idea that I might want to be one when I was about in fourth year of medical school, but I had a couple of other ideas for what I might be. What were those? Well, I knew I was definitely going into pediatrics because I really enjoyed pediatrics. And then my other ideas were pediatric GI, pediatric neurology, or pediatric hemonk.
0: And how did you narrow down those choices?
1: I did some electives in all of those things. And pretty soon after doing pediatric neurology, I knew that wasn't for me. And so going into general pediatric training, I was going between pediatric GI and pediatric hemonk.
0: What traits do you think lead to being a good PDGI doc?
1: You have to have a sense of humor because you're going to talk about poops and farts all day. And that's funny for some people, (laughs) including me and children. You have to I don't know, like some variety to your day because you're doing procedures, you're seeing children, you're working with parents.
0: What types of patients do you treat?
1: So we see kids of all ages and we see kids that um, we follow for a short time, whether that's because they're having poor growth um, or something like reflux or constipation, which we can manage and treat and we have them move on. Um, Or we see patients and we follow them, you know, for many, many years. And those might be our kids with celiac disease, or inflammatory bowel disease. Within pediatric GI, you can sort of further subspecialize into things like liver disease, sometimes someone who really focuses on certain procedures, or a general GI. So there's a lot of sort of opportunities in different patients you can see.
0: Describe a typical day.
1: Well, I have three different days of my week. So a typical day... Seeing patients um, is because I'm in an academic center and I focus on patients with celiac disease, I have a little bit more time to spend with patients. So that's anywhere from closer to 30 minutes instead of 15, which is nice. So I will see one day a week, I see patients every 30 minutes or so. We go over labs, we sort of check in. And it's sort of a typical day in the office. There's a day of the week where I do procedures. Um, and so on those days, I'm you know in pretty early, 7.30 or so. At that point, I'm either doing endoscopies or colonoscopies or both on children. So again, that's an interesting day working with a different group of people, anesthesia, nurses in a procedure room, and doing a procedure about every 30, 60 minutes.
0: For somebody that isn't aware of those types of procedures, describe endoscopy, colonoscopy.
1: Yeah. So for kids, we put them to sleep. It's a, you know, short procedure. So an endoscopy, typically a child would come in, anesthesia would put them to sleep. Um, I take a tube that looks sort of like a stethoscope, but is longer and has a camera on the end and go down the throat, into the esophagus, stomach, small intestine, and take biopsies while I'm there. Typically, the procedure itself takes about 10 minutes. So, you know, they're in and out pretty quick, and they're out of the procedure area within an hour or two of their uh, visit. For a colonoscopy, that takes a bit longer. It can be anywhere between 30 to 45 minutes, and that depends on how well the clean-out went. So we have patients drink stuff, so they um, essentially pee out of their butts, as I say to them. (laughs) Um, And as long as they're doing that, then we have a good view. So colonoscopy would take 30 to 45 minutes. Again, it's a slightly bigger scope, and we sort of drive around the colon looking for abnormalities, taking pictures along the way. And as we back out, we take tiny pieces of tissue. So we take biopsies then. Do
0: you have to take a lot of call?
1: At the academic center I'm at, no. Um, So as an attending physician there, I'm on call three weeks a year. um, And that's 24 hours a day for seven days. We have fellows that take the first call. We have residents that are in the hospital to sort of put in the orders. So as an attending physician, no, I get second or third call, and about 21 days a year.
0: You mentioned earlier, when I asked you about a typical day, you said you have three days. You mentioned seeing patients, procedure days, where you're seeing patients too. What's that third day for you?
1: Yeah, so three days a week I am um, doing research. So that means for me, you know, it could be anything from having meetings with startup companies or industry partners about, you know, what we're doing and what they're doing and how we can collaborate. Um, It's working on, it's writing, you know, manuscripts, writing grants, working on research, whether it's, um, I do translational research, so that's clinical and bench research, so there may be experiments going on. So three days a week I'm sort of in a lab, in an office, writing and managing research. And then one day is seeing patients and then a half a day every other week is doing procedures.
0: Describe translational a little bit more.
1: So translational is essentially um, taking things from the bench to the bedside or taking things from the bedside to the bench. So using patient samples and trying to understand mechanisms of disease in that way. So really sort of bridging what's going on in the lab to what's going on with patients. So all of my research is really based on taking patient samples and trying to find a mechanism of disease based on that.
0: Do you feel you have good work-life balance?
1: I think it's hard in research. I think it's hard in in just being a doctor to have good work-life balance. But in research, it can be difficult because there's always a paper to write. There's always a grant to write. There's always reading to be done. So I think this is a great work-life balance for me right now because I'd only have three weeks of call. I have one day a week where, you know, my time schedule is really based on patients. So if they're late, I'm late and three days a week, I can really make my own schedule. So I think I have a great work-life balance right now, but it's something that I have to constantly keep in check because I could write grants or papers all day, every day, including the weekends.
0: What is... The The residency path, postgraduate training for somebody that wants to enter PDGI.
1: It's three years of a general pediatric residency. Um, so you've probably heard about that a little, but that's every month is sort of different, whether it's pediatric neurology or he or, you know, the general team, emergency room, outpatient. So you get to see a bit of everything there. From there, it's three years of pediatric GI fellowship. And what that entails is one year of for where I was, it was one clinical year, so that meant I was on call about six months of the year. Um, I had There were two of us, and we sort of traded off um, the entire time. And then it was two years of research, where you also had about 10 weekend calls a year during that time. So I did those two, and then because I wanted to focus on research, I did a master's degree in clinical and translational investigation, and I Did that um, my third year of fellowship and my first year as an attending?
0: Talk about your decision on fellowship choice. How did you choose or how should someone choose to look at what fellowship programs to apply to? What what types of things should they be looking at?
1: So um, some of the important things for me were I wanted to find a fellowship that had at least one co-fellow because I know that you can get burnt out pretty quickly. And as you were alone, you would have more call than six months a year. And I thought that was not going to be great for my work-life balance. So I wanted a place where there was at least two of us. I was interested in doing research for my career when I went into fellowship. And so I knew that really it's very difficult to get anything done in two years research-wise? Not anything, but something really significant. It's difficult. So I wanted to choose a place where I knew I wanted to stay for a while. So I grew up in Boston. My family is there. Um, So I was hoping to sort of find a place that I would like to stay so that whatever research I started in fellowship would continue. I certainly think looking at sort of the dynamics of the group are important, but that's something, sometimes I think that's pediatric specific. You know, we like to have fun, um, be happy. And so we definitely look into like, does this feel like a family? Um, so that was something else that I wanted to look into, the, the support, the mentorship there.
0: So you you did your training at MGH, very research heavy institution. You mentioned the fellowship was three years, one year clinical, two years of research. I'm assuming that not all PDGI fellowships include those two years of research,
1: right? Some are made up a little bit differently. I think overall, people try and get you know a good year and a half to two years of research somewhere in there. But those fellowship programs where there's only one fellow every year, um, the other two. The fellows that's a second year and a third year, they're doing more clinical time in their second and third year because they have to help out that first year fellow who can't be on for 12 months straight. So in those cases, um, some of those programs might have you're on for, you know, four to six months a year clinically. And that could be pretty much maybe six months the first year, four months, and then two months or something like that. So some people spread it out a bit more. But I, again, I knew I wanted to focus on research. And the other thing that I found and that people always said is you really need to protect your time and focus just on research. So if you're taking two months off, I know when I was working on the bench, I had tried to plan everything out. And then the day I wanted to do the experiment, the cells, you know, weren't ready. So when you have to go between clinical and research, it's difficult.
0: So there's no... There's no such thing as like a one-year PDGI fellowship with no research. Almost all of them or all of them are research-focused They're as well.
1: all three years right now. Um, oh. And I know there's always a discussion about whether that's appropriate or not, but that's how it is.
0: Okay. What do you think makes a competitive applicant to PDGI?
1: So to be competitive for pediatric GI, I think you need to have at least done a rotation with pediatric GI. Um, that's helpful so that you can see what we do, but also so that you can form relationships with the pediatric GI department. It's still a small field. There's probably 1,000, 1,200 pediatric GIs in the United States. So it's a small field. So you want to Make friends and um, get to know your pediatric GI, you know, doctors at the institution. We definitely look for people who have done research, whether that's presenting a poster as a medical student or resident or publishing a paper. So I think we also look for in residency people that have spent some time doing research, either as an elective or on the side, because it's such an important part of the fellowship that we want someone who's interested in that as well. Is
0: matching competitive?
1: Is very competitive? Because again, you have places that have one or two spots. And say Boston where I was, there are two fellowship programs in the city of Boston. One has, you know, two people, one has four to six people, depending on the year. So it's very competitive.
0: Okay. Is there any bias that you've seen among M D versus DO applicants to PDGA?
1: I would say the majority of applicants are M D. I don't think that there's a bias against DO, but we definitely, but I'm not on the selection committee, and I and I know that we don't interview an in equal number by any means.
0: Okay. And that would kind of make sense, because just in general terms, there are many less DOs. Right. Okay. All right. You talked about it a little bit, but if you could go into it a little bit more in depth or or not at all, if there isn't much more, but the opportunity to subspecialize as a PDGI. So you, you finish your three years of PD residency, three years of of GI fellowship or PDGI fellowship. Where do people go after that if they want to specialize further?
1: Yeah. So I think it's, it really depends on where you're located. So definitely the you know, cities, these major academic centers, people are really moving towards super specializing. So again, if you've done your training and you don't want to stay at the major academic center in the city, then you'll see general GI. There are additional fellowships for a pediatric gastroenterologist. So you can do a liver transplant fellowship for um, one year, I believe. It's one one or two years. Uh, You can do a nutrition fellowship for another one or two years. So Some people go forward there. That was another reason that I wanted to sort of stay where I trained because I began to really focus on a certain super subspecialty as a fellow, and then I could take that with me as an attending. But there are additional fellowships, or a lot of places in, in the cities right now are sort of asking you to begin to almost brand yourself or choose your super subspecialty while you're training.
0: What do the boards look like?
1: So you take your general pediatric boards, which are difficult, and then I would say, you know, the pediatric GI boards are very difficult as well because, again, just like the general pediatric boards, they're asking about general genetic diseases that you may not see very often, um, metabolic diseases that you may not see that often, and so they're asking for a really wide range of things, and again, we don't see that wide range as often.
0: Regular PD boards are one of the lowest, have one of the lowest passing rates, as far as I know. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah what what is that passing rate? Do you know?
1: I thought it was um, between seventy five and eighty percent.
0: Okay, pretty hard. I'm not sure why it's so hard.
1: Well, I think it's a lot, because if you go through, I mean, think of every metabolic disorder you can have, every enzyme. I mean, there's so many of those things, and the number of times we see them is, you know, you can count on one hand. So genetic disorders, metabolic disorders, all those things make it difficult.
0: Okay. As a PDGI doc, what do you wish you knew going into fellowship that you didn't know that you know now?
1: I mean, I was pretty prepared for it. I think, again, because I was interested in research, I think people should know that depending on where you go, there's going to be a, a heavy emphasis on research. Two years out of three is is a lot. And, you know, the clinical stuff, everyone picks up eventually, and you study and you work on your procedures. But the time that you really determine what kind of pediatric GI doctor you're going to be. Are you going to be a researcher? Are you going to be a clinician? Are you going to be a motility expert? Are you going to be in doing, you know, liver transplants? That's all in the second two years. So I think, you know, just knowing that you choose pediatric GI, but many people will then go on and really super focus after that.
0: What do you wish primary care for? providers. And so in your case, pediatricians, what do you wish pediatricians knew about what you do? How could they help you do your job?
1: In general, I I wish that general pediatricians may sort of send screening labs or, you know, for kids with constipation, consider starting Miralax um, before they come see us. I think, you know, for kids with reflux, they often get started on medications and um, and that's okay for the older kids but i also wish you know if as infants they sent us they sent infants to us earlier than maybe they do because there's a lot of infants on acid blockers that don't need to be on them
0: and then your subspecialty as a celiac doc what are what do you wish pediatricians would know
1: i wish they would know that um that they should not suggest starting a gluten-free diet unless a child has been worked up for celiac disease completely, and that really includes seeing a pediatric gastroenterologist. And I wish they knew how infrequent gluten sensitivity is in children because, again, most children do not need to be on a gluten-free diet. And I wish they would sometimes give me a call because when we have, you know, we're always available to try and squeeze people in too, um, so I don't like... People waiting on a and wanting to go on a gluten free diet when I can just sort of try and squeeze them in.
0: What other specialties do you work the closest with?
1: So we work really closely with pediatric surgery. Um, that's because oftentimes we might have kids that come in with obstruction and we have to think about, you know, is this where is this coming from and who should ma- monitor it and manage it? Um, our kids with. Inflammatory bowel disease often, unfortunately, go to surgery, um, so do our, our patients with liver disease. So we work quite a bit with pediatric surgery. Um, we work quite a bit with pediatric radiology, again, when we're assessing um, our IBD kids with CT scans or MRIs or doing different um, barium swallow studies to look at the esophagus and the things like that. So I would say pediatric surgery, pediatric radiology are the top two that we work with
0: are there any areas outside of clinical practice and research for PDGI?
1: My work is in the microbiome, and that's a really hot topic right now. So, um, and being located where where I am in Boston, there's a lot of startups and sort of pharmaceutical industry partners there that want to be involved in research. So, I think as a pediatric gastroenterologist. Because you have this training and research, you do have the opportunity to work in industry if that's something that appeals to you. So I think that's a great option for people.
0: What do you like the most about being a PDGI doc?
1: I love the variety in my week. I love having a couple of days where I can focus on research. I love being able to see patients. And I mean, my procedure days, we have a lot of fun, you know, talking with the kids, playing music and hanging out with The anesthesiologists and the nurses, so it's it's a lot of fun in that sense, and you know I really like that a lot of my patients get better, so that they can. There are a lot of happy moments in pediatric GI, and a lot of funny moments because a lot of kids don't want to or aren't used to talking about poop and farts, and so we can have a lot of fun with different stool charts. Like, does your poop look like a chicken nugget, or (laughs) is it more like soft serve ice cream? So that all to me is still hilarious. And, <laughs> and so my days are pretty fun.
0: All right. So what do you like the least about being PDGI doc?
1: I guess it's just hard to balance everything as a clinical investigator. It's hard to balance because I want to be there for my patients all the time and focus on my research. So I would say that. But otherwise, the patients are great. Procedures are great. It's,
0: it's fun. If you had to do it all over again, would you still choose GI as a fellowship? Absolutely.
1: Nowhere else can I use my tap and fart app.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you see any major changes coming to the PDGI world, whether that's because of technology or medications or whatever?
1: Yeah. So again, one of the major, I think, shifts in the past probably decade has been towards this super subspecialty in some centers for pediatric GIs. I think the next thing that's going to come down the pipeline is probably someday changes in how we do procedures. So there are people looking at certain capsules that are tethered to string um, and that may be able to take biopsies or take pictures at such a level that we don't need biopsies. So I think, you know, at some point, maybe we're going to be doing a lot less endoscopies and colonoscopies once that happens. And I think we're always nervous about, For if you're interested in research, the funding environment. But again, because there's so many sort of really interesting areas coming down the pipeline in terms of the microbiome and precision medicine, there's a lot of opportunity in research and in industry.
0: Any last words of wisdom for the pre-med, medical student, or even resident listening to this that's interested in PDGI?
1: I think it's a great field if you're interested in sort of having a lot of variety to your week and to your patients. So you get to do procedures, you get to work with a lot of different groups, and you have a nice balance between patients that get better quickly and patients that you get to follow for a longer time period. So it's fun.
0: All right, that was Dr. Leonard again pediatric gastroenterology. So very interesting there. Three years pediatric residency, three years of pediatric gastroenterology fellowship, which includes multiple years of research. Now, Dr. Leonard is not a an MD, PhD. She is, in air quotes, just an MD. And a lot of questions come up, I get a lot of questions about doing a lot of research as an MD and not having a PhD. And so Dr. Leonard is showing that you don't have to have that PhD to do a lot of research in your career. So probably something I'll have her on the show to talk about at another point, the the show meaning my the other podcast, The Pre-Med Years, to talk about working as an MD and doing that amount of research to see if The PhD route, if she regrets not having a PhD or if she's hindered by not having a PhD, I think it's an important topic. So I hope that this episode was good for you. If you're interested in PD or a subspecialty of pediatrics, then uh, pediatric gastroenterology might be right up your alley. So hopefully you got something good out of it. If you did, I'd love for you to share this with a friend Go let them know to listen to the Specialty Stories podcast every week on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget, check us out next week here at the Specialty Stories podcast.
1: Beans, beans, musical fruit. The more you eat, the more you toot. No, okay, don't don't put that in. <laughs> okay, what was the question? <laughs>